So last week we started our three-week look at Peter, who is one of Jesus' disciples. Many think he was the lead disciple. And if you missed, I'd encourage you to watch online. Peter's too rich to not listen to the whole three-week thing, I think. He said and did things that got him in trouble. All the time he cut off a guy's ear. He took his clothes off and jumped in the water once to swim to Jesus. He blurted out inappropriate stuff when he shouldn't have. He was the first person to look at Jesus and say, get away from me. I'm too sinful to be in your presence. And he was the only disciple that Jesus called Satan. So wouldn't you love to have that claim to fame? And I'm just so grateful to Peter for being so human. And in this story, we're going to look at this morning. Peter is again beautifully himself holding up a mirror to us bumbling followers of Jesus 2000 years later. So we can really see ourselves. And so just like last week, I'm going to read through the story found in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, if you want to follow along. And I'm just going to teach as I go through the story. And so we pick up the story. Uh, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem. He's headed toward the cross. And he's with his disciples for one last time before his arrest. John 13, starting with verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Jesus, John writes, knew that his father had put all things under his control, under his power. He knew he had come from God and was returning to God. This is Jesus' story, John wants us to know, and Jesus is the hero. But Jesus is a hero unlike any other hero ever known. He not only put on human flesh, but he put on the uniform of a servant. The king of the universe, knowing full well what was about to happen, did not demand to be served on his last night on earth, but instead he prepared to serve. And I would imagine in this moment, as I picture the scene, that that room was dead quiet. And I believe if we could see Peter, we would see him with a piece of Passover bread just hanging out of his mouth in disbelief at what he was witnessing. John continues, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with his towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the only way I can compare the shock that Jesus' disciples must have felt when they saw Jesus taking on the role of a servant and performing the most menial of tasks would be to compare it to Pope Francis who took Jesus' example to heart. He broke every protocol known to the Vatican. And he chose, do you remember this? I think I brought a picture. He chose to wash the feet of women, (gasps) teenagers, prisoners. And the world stood amazed with bread hanging out of our mouths. And remember, looking back at Jesus' day, There were no ped eggs, no manicures, no scissors, no nail files, no nail trimmers, no socks, no gold bond powder, no odor eaters, no jublia medication for toenail fungus. 
I could continue with that list based on TV commercials. This was gross work. It was only assigned to slaves or servants, mostly females, no comment. And people in that day walked through human and animal excrement. Kids, excrement is a Sunday morning word for poop. Parents, you can thank me for that later. (laughs) This is how low God stoops. And then the story switches. And it becomes very intimately about Jesus and Peter. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And the way this is written in the Greek language is a tiny bit like a Saturday Night Live skit. The emphasis in the Greek words is on the words you and my, or me. So it was as if Peter just stared at Jesus and was saying to him, you, me, you, me, you. Does anyone know this skit? It's a funny skit, you guys. Okay, I'm going to take that out next time. I thought it was hilarious. So Peter's saying, you're going to wash my feet. And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter doesn't even stop to ask Jesus what he means. He just plows ahead and blurts out, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And the word never here is in as adamant form of the language as it could possibly be. It is what is called a double negative subjunctive followed by an emphatic propositional phrase. You all know what that means, right? It means no, not ever gonna happen. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So just like last week, And just like Peter, he takes it one step too far and just gets ridiculous. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's saying, I would like you to dunk me in a large jacuzzi, Jesus. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And I think the answer to that question is obviously no. Because how could they, really, until the next days had played themselves out? So we're going to get to the end of this story in a minute. But for now, I want to just look at the ways that Peter responded to Jesus' offer to wash his feet. Because in these responses, there are some clues here about how many of us tend to respond to the same offer Jesus makes to us, sometimes without even realizing what we're doing. As Jesus said, Peter did not yet understand what Jesus was demonstrating here. That was the washing of feet, and it was a common daily occurrence in Jesus' day. But it was also in this story of foreshadowing of the washing away of sin that was going to come as Jesus headed to the cross. But reading it now, we know this. 
And we can see that Peter's reactions to Jesus' desire to wash his feet are very similar to the reactions we humans have to Jesus' offer to us to wash away our sin. So response number one, Peter said to Jesus, No, you shall never wash my feet. Now, part of this was Peter's misunderstanding of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and how he was supposed to act. There was just nothing in Peter's mind that would help him understand that the Messiah was supposed to serve in this kind of way. And I think part of it was also Peter's pride. I'd imagine he was sitting there thinking, wait a minute. If this is how you're going to act in the world, if you're going to take on the nature of a servant and I'm supposed to follow you, what the heck does that mean for me? I'd rather follow somebody with a Messiah complex. But at an even deeper level, which I'm sure Peter didn't even really get, what he demonstrated in his reaction was this tendency in the human soul to believe that we don't really need what Jesus offers. Either that our feet are not dirty at all or that they're not that dirty. I mean, look at those people. Those people's feet are really dirty. As Tolian Chavijan says, not only is it hard to believe that God would love unclean people, it's also hard to believe that we are the unclean people he loves. And I'm sorry to say that this is a response that is still very much alive and well in the church today. It is what could be called the gospel of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-righteousness, and frankly, an extreme self-delusion. See, if we don't think our feet are dirty, and if we don't think we have any need for the cleansing that Jesus offers, we are just flat out wrong. And we nice, clean, upright, middle-class, church-goring, morally upstanding people, so bright and shiny we all are this morning, aren't we? We are just brilliant at convincing ourselves that compared to the rest of the world, our feet are clean. It is the ultimate form of self-delusion, and we are so good at it, and it is so dangerous. Because we end up as people whose feet are dirty, who don't think they need to be washed. We have the mindset of, I'm good. I'm generally moral. Why on earth would I need a savior? We place our trust in ourselves and our own ability to be good enough for God. Which is really a laughable delusion. Because it leaves us incredibly insecure because being right with God, when being right with God hinges on our own right behavior, we're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Just ask my family. Just ask my dog. I'm not very good at perfect right behavior. Your feet, my feet, the scriptures tell us are dirty. But it is pretty easy for us to believe that if we just paint our toenails or put on a shiny pair of shoes, I realize just now how shiny my shoes are, or or better yet, a pair of Toms or something, no one will notice. This is why sinners understood the gospel before the religious people did. It's why they flocked to Jesus. No one had to tell them their feet were dirty though the religious people loved to tell them their feet were dirty. We don't do that anymore, do we? 
Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He was speaking to the religious leaders. Those who think they are righteous will never believe they need what Jesus offers. But those who know they are not will immediately see his gospel as good news. All they can do is let Jesus wash their feet. That is all they can hope for. But some of us, especially us in the church, I believe, are so far from this attitude Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, put it, I think, the most succinctly. He said, if you're avoiding sin and living morally so that God will have to bless you and save you, then you may be looking to Jesus as a teacher, a model, and a helper, but ironically, you are avoiding him as a savior. You are trusting in your own goodness rather than in Jesus for your standing with God. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you are trusting in your own goodness for your good standing with God, you are betting on the wrong horse. Because Jesus says to us exactly what he said to Peter, unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. We have dirty feet, my brothers and sisters, even the most righteous among us, filthy, dirty feet, and no amount of personal scrubbing will ever make them clean. That's the first human response to Jesus' offer. But the second is equally dangerous, and it's a bit more slippery. Peter said, Then Lord... Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter had a very Peter-like reaction when Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He completely overreacts. And without knowing it, he reveals one of our deepest traps. The trap of believing that Jesus' washing wasn't quite enough. We see our dirty feet We believe only the one with unstained feet can wash them. But then we wobble. As Martin Luther said, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent, that we cannot trust the love and the grace of Christ, and we must take matters into our own hands. Jesus washes our feet, and the serpent whispers to us, He missed a spot. And when we feel guilt or shame over our sin, we rush to our own efforts to feel better, to be good. We count on them. And this is my tendency. I don't know what yours is, but this is mine. When I get overwhelmed with my sin, with my failure to be the kind of person God wants me to be, I have a tendency to resort to taking matters into my own hands and engaging in religious behavior to try to make me feel better, to try to make me feel like a good Christian rather than running to Jesus and trusting in his cleansing grace. And when my religious behavior 
is, does this for me. It is, it is this nervous attempt to add to what Christ has already done for me. And I become like a person with OCD, you know, washing and washing and washing my already clean feet and hands until they bleed and crack and never being convinced and satisfied that through Christ they are clean. And though this can seem humble, It is really a disguised form of pride that says to Jesus, I know better than you what needs to be done to make me clean. And what you offer me, Jesus, is not quite enough. A huge part. When we, when we claim that we trust in Jesus, a huge part of that is trusting that what he has done on the cross is enough even for us, that when he washes our feet, it is enough. And there are so many Christians who live without this sense of trust and without the peace that comes from it, what some people call the dedicated neurotic. Isn't that a tender little term for those of us who struggle with this? These are people with a sincere faith and a desire to be used by God, but who carry around a secret burden of guilt and shame that they are not as good as they think they should be. And these folks double down on their efforts to be a good Christian. If I hear one more of you tell me that you're trying really hard to become a good Christian, I am going to snick your ear. If you, if you lived in my family, you would know what that means. I'm going to snap it till it hurts you. You guys, this is a horrible place to live. And yet churches sometimes secretly encourage this because the dedicated neurotic make for great church volunteers. And we, (laughs) sorry, all the people in ministry who have to get volunteers, I'm sorry that I just said that. But we need hard workers in the church. And this is probably why 90% of all sermons preached fall under the category of try harder. Again, Martin Luther, this is, This is his topic. He said to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. And yet this is the gospel. And we need to preach it to ourselves every day. This is the gospel we heard at the funeral on Friday. And it is the only source of peace. It is the only lasting motivation for the Christian life, and it is how Jesus wants us to live as people of the washed feet. Free. Free from sin, from guilt, from shame, from death. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He wants us to let his words to Peter in verse 10 ring in our ears. You are clean. Frederick Bruner, who's one of my favorite commentators on the Gospels, believes this is what Jesus was trying to get across to Peter. This bath I have given your feet is plenty, Peter. You and your fellow disciples here are from now on, listen to this, completely clean people, and I want you to know that. It is so important to Jesus that we get this. Not so that we can brag about how clean our feet are. 
Not so that we can call attention to our clean feet or so that we can point out the world's dirty feet. This is where so many of us stumble. Jesus washes our feet and we act like we did the washing or we were born somehow with clean feet. That's not why he does it. He does it so that we, out of gratitude, can now live in this world in the same way Jesus just demonstrated to us. Because at the end of this story, in verse 13, I think it starts, Jesus said, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. People whose feet are cleansed by Jesus and whose sins are washed away are free now to wrap a towel around their waist and to stoop down real low to their neighbor or their enemy or their brother or sister and wash their feet. Not spiritually, of course, that's Jesus' job, but to literally serve as he served, as a way of demonstrating to the world what he has done for us. And on Friday afternoon, after the incredibly painful and beautiful funeral here, I listened to the bond hearing for the young man who shot nine people in a South Carolina church. And I listened to the relatives of the people who were killed, daughters and sons and aunts and mothers. And I listened to these Christian people talk to this man who took the lives of their loved ones. They couldn't be in the same room with him, and of course they could not have touched him But I felt in their words a kind of forgiveness and kindness and calls for his repentance and prayers for his soul that let me know that if they could have touched this man, they might have taken off his shoes and worked around the shackles and washed his feet in the name of Jesus. They would have, I believe, washed that killer's feet. And later on, I read on Twitter a post from a self-professed atheist who said, as I listened to those Christians speak to the man who murdered their loved ones, I stood in amazement that a religious faith could have that kind of impact on the souls of human beings. And I thought to myself, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and those men stood amazed. The Pope washed teenagers and women's and prisoners' feet, and the world stood amazed. And if we, the people of the washed feet, would simply do as Jesus told us to do, rather than thinking we have all kinds of other jobs, the world would stand amazed. Amen. Let's pray. God, such a simple story with spiritual truth on a couple levels. The first is that you offer to make dirty people clean. And all we have to do is say, yes, yeah, my feet are dirty. And I trust Jesus that your washing of them is enough. And then we can become free people. But God, the story also is on a real practical, down-in-the-trenches level, too. 
You said to your disciples, look at how I have lived as a servant. And now I am saying to you, this is how you are to live in this world. Model yourself after me. And God, if we could just step into our freedom, step into your power, and live this way, I believe every knee would bow and give you the praise, honor, and glory you deserve. And now let us continue to worship you for who you are and what you've done. Amen.